Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag podcast presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words, and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Welcome back to episode 48. I'm Nicole Escobar, and I'm here with my usual ladies, mental health counselor, Kristen Torres, and our co-host, Stevie Esler. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing good. So glad to be here. I want to remind, take a moment, too, to remind everyone that um, our podcast is for informational purposes only, doesn't actually constitute official advice. Uh, for probably most of you, we may not know you and know your particular situation. So this is not, none of what we say to, is to take the place of advice from your doctor or therapist. So we want to make sure you're getting the help you need. So we just hope that you're really encouraged and, and that you feel hopeful when you um, listen to these podcasts. So we're glad you're here. So true. And we are very glad that you're here. And I'm so glad that you ladies are here as well. So this month, we are continuing with our three part series. And this is our last episode on the topic of intimacy. I really hope that you guys have been enjoying these episodes. We definitely have. um, I know every time I get to study and prepare for these, I'm always left with Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, I didn't think about it in that way. So I hope you guys are doing the same thing. And I hope these episodes are challenging you. So on this episode, we are talking about three key barriers to intimacy. The first one is compulsive behaviors. The second one is suppressing the need for intimacy. And the last one is unforgiveness. So we're going to first look at compulsive behaviors. So compulsive behaviors, um, a lot of us know them as things that people do to sort of numb out. Um, At least that's how I've always seen them as things to sort of space out, numb out. And these can be eating, smoking, drinking, spending money, um, promiscuity, compulsive religious activity, and many other types of behaviors. I mean, you figure it out. I know some people like... um, like to do um when you jump off a cliff like to do things that like what what is that like daredevil type stuff high adrenaline yeah adrenaline adrenaline. junkies yeah yep i I feel like you would be an adrenaline junkie stevie I used to be after my last knee surgery I'm done (laughs) oh okay you're like I'm out Kristen what were you gonna say I was just gonna add in here too like social media use Oh my goodness. That is one of the ways in which we're seeing so many people get into compulsive behaviors is compulsive social media use, right? Like think how many people think how many people spend time just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And if someone were to ask you, what did you, what did you just see? Or what have you read? Or what have you noticed? Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm <laughs> actually, I'm really so, no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's so true. How many times do we you know, numb out. And maybe I'd like for me, maybe I'm sitting with my husband watching TV or whatever. He could be talking to me and I'm scrolling through social media, not listening to what he's saying, but looking at something. And then if he asked me, what did you look at? I would be like, 
I can't even remember like because I was doing two different things at the same time and how many times does that I mean really if you try to do that with anything else like studying for a test you're not going to remember one of the over the other so yeah I mean that's a that's a definite blocker right there good one so we may do these things because we feel lonely or depressed And so we try to compensate for maybe a a low self-worth or we engage in these types of behaviors because it makes us feel good. But what I have found about these things is that they are a false God. I would say they, they say they're going to fulfill a need. They say they're going to make you feel better, but they never actually do. And a lot of times they make you feel worse. I know if, when I did smoke, this was like when I was 18, you know, I always thought, okay, when I puff the cigarette, it's going to fulfill a need. But after I would always feel like crap, like, oh man, I smoked that cigarette. Why did I do that? Or late night going out drinking with my girlfriends. It was fun. I thought I was making connections with people and like having this awesome time. But a lot of times when we drank too much, we would leave there, or at least I would feeling shameful for some of the behaviors or maybe some of the things that I had said that embarrassed me that didn't represent my character and things like that. So it never does what it says it's going to do. And that's the, that's the, the thing about it is that it can block you from knowing yourself deeper and having deeper relationships with people. So before I go on um, with a little bit more, Kristen, I wanted to know what or why are compulsive behaviors a barrier to intimacy with or in deeper connections with people? Sure. You know, just like we kind of talked about, like with the social media stuff, right? Um, when we're participating in compulsive behaviors, um, we're not present in whatever is going on. And for us, for you to be able to have um, any of us to be able to have depth of intimacy, like connection, truly being present with someone, expressing real emotions, connecting with them, hearing their emotions, feeling understood, feeling safe, all those things. Think about that. Like if you're focused on whatever the behavior is, compulsive behavior is, then you you don't have space to do that with someone, to connect with someone in that way, you know, because you're distracted. You're likely not in the present moment you know, very well. I mean, that's, I mean, you gave that good example too, right? Of watching TV with your husband, Nicole, and then at the same time, scrolling through social media. Um, And I think sometimes we think we can do both at the same time, but think of the difference of trying to have a conversation with someone and actually stopping whatever else you're doing and looking at them in the eyes and making eye contact and being present with them and seeing their body language and seeing their eyes as they're talking about something. Like we're gonna miss so many cues if we're focused on those nonverbal cues, right? Which is like so much more significant of communication than verbal communication. I'm sure you've heard that before. Like so much more is communicated non-verbally than is actually communicated verbally. And so just that alone, if we're distracted with compulsive behaviors like social media use or any of these other things, then it's going to get in the way of us being able to be present and being able to connect um, with someone. And a lot of times too, if these are compulsive behaviors, then that may be what's on our mind rather than again, being present in the moment in these interactions um, with the people that we're around. Yeah. 
Yeah. One of the things that when you were talking, um, I was thinking of, and how much does that affect our relationship with God? And we may have a prayer life and we may do Bible studies and things like that. We may go to church, but when we have these compulsive behaviors, we may be blocking out some of the things that God wants to say to us. There was a period of my time when I first got married. I think I've shared this on this podcast where I had to take sleeping pills to go to sleep because my husband snored so bad. So I started taking them like I was trying to be proactive and I was taking them like around eight o'clock or whatever. Well, I mean, what does the sleeping pill do? It makes you fall asleep, but it also makes you feel super euphoria. So like I would take it at eight o'clock, I would be chill. And I was like, Ooh, this is the life. Like I'm feeling good. But I realized when I was doing that, I didn't, I was, I was blocking out God and some of the, the, the like words of life and, and hopes and dreams that I'm hearing now without doing those things that I was blocking out during that time. And I was thinking about this just recently. I was like, man, I wonder if like I was stunting my growth, my spiritual growth, because I was doing that, you know, cause I did that for probably about two years until I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't take sleeping pills almost every night. So it, and it set me free. And, and it's something that I tend to go, okay, well, my husband's snoring more. I don't want him to not sleep in my room and, or our room. I want him to sleep with me. Like, I don't want him sleeping somewhere else. So maybe I'll just do sleeping pills, but I have to literally say to myself, yes, Nicole, you could just do a sleeping pill, but you don't know if it could get you back on. I, I wouldn't say I was addicted, but I would say I was, um, reliant on it. And that, and that I don't like, I don't like being reliant on anything other than like coffee <laughs> and like love and affection, you know? Mm-hmm. So is that, is that, that's what we're talking about here, right? Like that type of thing that can happen in our life that can block us from having intimate relationships, even with God. Oh, I think, yeah, I think any of these things, um, any of these types of things we're talking about, like what you're saying, um, what you were, your story in regards to sleeping pills, um, could do something like that for sure. It's, it's ways of escape and distraction that are avoiding true connection, you know, whether it's with God, whether it's with someone else, you know, um, yeah, it's just blocking being present in our lives, you know, is what it is. And I think the question would be, um, if I need fill in the blank, whatever it is, right? So much like compulsively need whatever this thing is, um, this behavior, this activity, this substance, um, to be able to be okay or to um or just feel okay or survive, like what's really going on for me? Now I want to be clear. And asking that question, if anyone's listening and they're on any sort of medication that has been prescribed by their doctor, their psychiatrist or something, that is not what we're talking about here. If you're concerned about how it's affecting you, our encouragement would be talk to your provider, talk to your doctor through that. We want to be really, really careful. There's a lot of medications, especially like antidepressants. Um, and I'm not a doctor but they can be um, prescribed and they need to be very carefully adjusted if they're going to be adjusted. So we're not talking about anything like that. We're, you know, we are talking about, um, um, again, compulsive, whether it is things or activities or behaviors that you um, know that you're probably using in the wrong way or too much of, or just trying, you know, using for escape. 
So that's where you, sh- you know, could ask that question of like, what's going on for me? What am I avoiding feeling? You know, is it where I just need to sit down with this friend that I think cares about me and loves me and just say, I'm so anxious, like being friends with you because I'm nervous of all these things we talked about this podcast, right? I'm nervous of being rejected. I'm nervous of being seen. I'm nervous for, about being judged, that kind of thing. I think if we address what we're actually feeling, we won't really have to rely as much on those compulsive behaviors or activities, but that's a lot of times what we're avoiding. We're avoiding feeling, we're afraid, and so forth. And so we go for these other things that are, so to speak, easier. So Stevie, what's your thoughts on all this? Man, I get it. I've used, like looking at this list, I'm like, yeah, drinking. I mean, in college, that was a lot of, I mean, I look at a lot of like my partying days and whatnot. A lot of this came from my depression, loneliness, self-worth. I mean, all of it, like that was the gamut of it. And, and even like as an adult, like getting out of college and I will say, um, I guess it was, yeah, 11 years ago whenever I first started counseling. And that was actually something that my counselor actually asked me to do. There was, uh, we had, I'd been in counseling for about, I think three months. And she asked me to stop drinking for a couple months. She was like, Hey, and I wasn't like, I was not a, I mean, I definitely like drank in college. I feel like I did like the whole college party scene, but as an adult, it wasn't that I was getting drunk every night, not like that, but still drinking a few nights a week with my roommates or going out to dinner and stuff like that. And she just was like, Hey, we're going through some of your story. It's really tough. Let's let's maybe she's like, I would just encourage you not to drink for a little bit, just to kind of have a really clear head. And she's like, also, because you might through going through some of these tough parts of your story, you might look to alcohol for numbing. And that was it. Like it was always, and it was, it was numbing. And so taking those few months off that summer was actually pretty awesome. And I will say, cause I did all the summer fun things. Like I did, you know, like I floated with my friends down the river And while they were all drinking, I'm drinking Gatorade and coconut water and I still had a blast. And so, and also I found I was so much more present with all of my family and friends whenever, because I wasn't drinking like, and even, like I said, I wasn't drinking a lot, but just having a clear head that there was nothing. I just, I was able to process. I was really able to process. And so, and even, um, even now, like I mean, I'll find myself, like, I'll get really into work. Um, I know this whole COVID, this last past, the last two years, of course, social media, like getting on my phone, those, you know, like whenever I'm single and so not living with anyone and not having, minus like my staff and whatnot, who I work with, um, not having a ton of social interaction for, you know, especially for, for a year, social media really did become such an, I mean, mind numbing. And I'm like, kind of, I'm, I'm now having to like even break myself of that now. Cause it's so easy just to hop on. Like, I mean, I did it first thing this morning. I, I lay there in bed for like 45 minutes, just scrolling through my phone. I mean, I checked email first and then I got on and just checked social media just to kind of see what I had missed. Um, and then finally I was like, oh crap, I'm running late. And so it just takes up way too much of my time. Um, and so I'm like, I'm actually about to put the timer back on my phone so to keep me from, from getting on social media too much. But I definitely think that our counselors, you know, if we're going to counseling, our good friends, 
our family, if they see something in you and they call it out, take heed to that. Like really listen to that because these are people who really do love you and care about you. And if they say, Hey, I noticed that you're like, you're drinking a lot. I noticed that you're smoking a lot. I noticed that you're shopping every single time you get depressed. I mean, that's, that's normal. I, I do that. Like it's, I've had a long stressful day and I'm like, I'm just going to go to home goods. Next thing I know I've walked out with stuff that I don't need. So it is, it's just, it's that kind of stuff. But whenever those people, whenever people in your life call that, call that stuff out or bring that to attention, I just think that we need to, we need to pay better attention. We personally need to pay better attention to it because um, we're talking about it for a reason. Yeah. I, I love that you said that because it's hard to do that, but when you do do it and like, I have this girlfriend who I have to constantly do that with and I, not to be like a negative Nancy in her life, but like, Oh, are you sure you want to talk to that guy? Like, um, we're done with him. Right. Like kind of thing. And I know, but I know like, Cause she just, I just saw her the other day and she was like, thanks for all those times that you said. And I was like, Oh God, thank God. She's not like, Hey, screw you lady. You know, <laughs> like seriously. So, but yeah, be that friend, be, be, be that. Because I always look at things like if you call someone out and you love them enough to say, Hey, I think you're drinking a lot, or you're hanging out with this guy who's not good for you being promiscuous. And, you know, like as a Christian, um, I remember when I was dating Raph and I had shared that we were promiscuous with each other or whatever I had a girlfriend who said it to me she said Nicole you guys are Christians and I was like and and she was like I expect you to be handling this differently and I was like "Ooh!" and then we did we we were pure for like almost a year and a half before we got married um but I was grateful for a friend to do that she loved me enough to say that to me so yeah so so definitely love those friends who have the courage to say that because it takes courage to, to do those types of things. Mm-hmm. So the next one is suppressing the need. So another common readjustment that people do is suppressing their need for intimacy. So this may look like saying that, you know, hey, I don't need intimate relationships in my life. I can live on my own. They try to make themselves and others believe that they actually don't need anyone. Um, they say things like, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of like needless, you know, I don't want that in my life and things like that. And it's all what, in my opinion, it can be um, a wall around your heart and saying, and I, I find myself doing that in times of like, when I feel rejected or I feel hurt by somebody, I'm like, well, I don't need them anyways. Or I don't need that friendship in my life. It's not good for me anyways. And then I'm like, like a couple of days later, after I've had some time to think about it, I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad that I'm not Um, like I don't make decisions in the right moment because I would be like, delete. I would be like calling people like, we're not friends anymore. We're done here. Right. (laughs) But like when I took some time to think about it, I was like, I actually really love that person. You know, I don't want any friction, that kind of thing. So you guys um, tell me what's your thoughts. Um, Stevie, you can go first. Have you, do you relate to this suppressing that need? And what do you do to try to work through that and, and, try to say, Hey, I need friends in my life or I need intimate relationships. Oh yeah. I feel (laughs) definitely done like the, the threat in my head. That's what I, it's like the, I'm not going to talk to him anymore. I'm going to like, I go through the laundry list and I don't need that person. I've been hurt. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to text or call 
you know, anyone for the next week and just see if anyone reaches out to me. Like it's such, I've done it. Like I, I'm literally giggling because as you were talking, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've done that. There have been times there have been, that's part of my story of just, Oh man. And it's, it's such a weird feeling too, because you know, you're, you know what you're doing. Like, you know, that you need, you need people and you know that um, it's a two-way street. Like at the end of the day, every friendship is a two-way street. And at the end of the day, um, yes, maybe there is someone who's driving a little bit faster than the other, but you're still like, you've got to, in, in a friendship, like you've got to have that. And, oh man, it just, I do find, I'll, I'll it hasn't happened in a long, it hasn't happened in a good long time. But whenever it did happen, every single time I would get so mad at myself too at the end, because I, again, was trying to control the situation. And so, and the thing is like, but I took that control and didn't tell my friends that I took that control. So they had no idea, you know, like, oh, I just haven't heard from you. And it's like, okay, well, did you, it's because of this. And I didn't, and I wasn't telling them that like, it's, well, it's because you haven't called me. That's why I'm not calling you. I just didn't say anything. And so they're, you know, um, and whenever you're not having any type of communication in a, re in a relationship, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to sit stagnant. So it's like the text threads in your phone that are, I don't even know, 10 years old because someone that you just stopped talking to, and then you never had another follow-up conversation. And so it's like, it's not that like, oh, there's bad blood or anything between us. It's just, you just stopped. And so, but you've got to be in a community. If there's, a, if that's a relationship you actually care about, you've got to be in a communication with that, in that, with that person and in, in that relationship. Yeah. I think, um, about like suppressing your need. I think that, listen, I, I think there's a, a bit of a spectrum with this meaning sometimes it is as simple as we can, we can recognize that we're just like denying the fact that we need, um, people in our lives or need close people to know us or have closeness in our lives. And it, it's something that we can say, all right, yeah, I probably do that. I know I'm avoiding sometimes because I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to go through conflict. I don't, you know, want to risk or be seen those types of things. Right. Um, I think the spectrum of this is that sometimes this, you know, it can be something where you recognize that and you can make a shift kind of like, um, what Stevie's talking about and Stevie, you know, too, you also put in a lot of work, right? Like therapeutically, mm -hmm. I'm saying to yes. get to the point of being able to yep. recognize these patterns and shift when you notice yes. yourself doing it. Yeah. Now, sometimes when someone maybe hasn't done all that work, what has happened is there is really a very deep level shutdown of need of recognizing your needs because your needs may not have been met very, very young. And this can go back to some very deep um, wounds from the earliest years of life, earliest moments of life when needs um, aren't met. And then you end up learning that your needs are not going to be met. So therefore you're not going to have any needs. And there's a sh internal shutdown that occurs that you carry with you through life until you kind of face, I think the grieving and the pain of the needs that were not met so young. Mm -hmm. so that's what I mean by a spectrum there's times when I think you've done some work and you have that realization to be able to reflect on that and to to shift and to be honest and to get real with some of those friends you have for some of you this may be striking a chord because what I just described may be you some part of that may be you you know where it's like 
yeah, not only did I experience the, the trauma of sexual abuse, but then there was also trauma in my house of neglect or abandonment, you know, from caregivers really, really, really young um, or at any age. And so that's a whole nother level um, of where I would encourage someone to really make sure that you reach out and get some help, professional help to work through that because those are very deep wounds. Um, that can't necessarily be simply, so to speak, fixed. But let me tell you, healing is always possible. And that's because we have a God that that one of the names he calls himself, calls himself is our healer. And so that's, you know, when I'm working with someone, I am trusting that it is our Lord, the healer, who is doing the healing for that person. But again, these wounds can be very, very deep. Um, and sometimes we may not, may not even realize that we're all the way shut down like that, but if you have done some work and it feels like, okay, I know myself well enough. And I know that I can sometimes avoid because I'm afraid of, you know, again, rejection or conflict or this, this, and that. Yeah. Our encouragement is to make that shift, to allow yourself to, um, acknowledge your needs and to reach out to those people that are in your life that, that do feel safe, you know, because you do need connection, right? Like how, but how good is it? to go have that lunch that you've been maybe avoiding or that dinner and just have a real conversation with those friends or that friend that you haven't seen in a while. Right. And like to actually be seen and heard and validated, like that feels really good. Mm -hmm. So, but if it is deeper and you notice a real strong resistance, pain, shutdown, I feel nothing. I need no one. My encouragement is not to leave that there to reach out and ask for some is, you know, some, some more help with that. Yeah. And I would also add that if you have a friend like that and you hear this and you're like, Oh, I'm thinking of blank, whomever it is, reach out to them, be a buddy to them, you know, recognize everything that Kristen just said, which is, it's so hard for them to maybe go to you. Hey, I need a friend right now. Yeah. Or, or they may be so tough and have this tough exterior where they seem like they have it all together. Cause oftentimes these people will rise to the top of an organization. They'll be like the top of their game at something and they look like they have it all together. But meanwhile, like inside, they're not, you know, they're not making strong connections with people and they're broken. Um, but yeah, be that friend to call up and be like, Hey, I just want to check in with you. Cause I can think of a few friends right now where I'm like, oh man, if I could have just shown up for them in that way, um, because I know that would have been, and even if they rejected it, you know, and if I just consistently kept doing that with them, maybe that would have made them feel loved. And maybe that would have um, drawn them out and helped them feel safe. I, I mean, it's just one. I like, the only reason why this hits home for me right now is because um, I, we've, I, you guys know this, but I've become a foster parent and this child that we're fostering has uh, needs <laughs> and he's was lacking those needs being met by his parents and his family, which was one of the reasons why he was taken. Um, but I was thinking, gosh, can you imagine if I, if we weren't able to come in and start, like, I come up to him every time I give him milk and I'm like, I'm here to serve you little buddy. And he, and I'm thinking in my mind, like, he doesn't know he's seven weeks old. He's looking at me like, please just hand me the milk and let's move on. But I want him to know, I want him to hear that language when he gets old, older, yeah. I do want to serve him. I want him to know I'm here every time his needs are, he has a need. 
up until a certain point, you know, but I'm going to be right there to love him. So I'm waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning at every second on the second when he cries. I want him seeing my face. I'm kissing him. I'm looking at him when I'm feeding him because I want those. I want him to know I'm here to serve you. I'm here to get your needs met because I don't want you to be damaged when you get older. Mm -hmm. And so can we just see the little child in, within people and go, this rough exterior might be more than just this thing that we're seeing, you know, or this, this hardened heart might be more. And so that's my only encouragement to people. Cause there is that little child within, we all have it. Even, you know, even myself, I, I think of like, my parents were always there for me, but you know, now seeing my parents with this little guy, I'm like, you guys didn't do this for me. You guys, you know, I'm like, so now I know why I'm like, you know, I could be the way I am with this rough exterior sometimes. So it's really fun taking care of children and seeing things through a different lens. Yeah, very true. All right. So now the last one is unforgiveness. So some people do not forgive because they are scared to death that if they do forgive, they will have to deal with people. And I know that's like, you know, it's doing the opposite that we want, right? So if we if we say, hey, I forgive you for this thing, um, we think by holding on that that's gonna satisfy something in us, but it doesn't do it. Like it, it's always, it lies to us. Unforgiveness always lies to us. It says, hold on to this grudge. This grudge will make you feel better. And it never does. It separates us from people. So dealing with unforgiveness is a very normal part of healing. But at some point, victims need to experience the freedom of forgiveness. This will lead to the need of developing intimacy because this need has temporarily been filled with the power of unforgiveness. And I promise you, as you forgive and as you learn to forgive, because it's not just a one and done, it's going to probably be an ongoing thing that you have to do. You may feel empty, but this will produce the energy that you need to grow in the Lord and that you will allow the Lord to fill you. <laughs> and I have had to bring certain things to the Lord recently of like, God, please, I'm begging you to help me to forgive this person or forgive this thing that's happened. And when I empty my, un and I let my unforgiveness out and I say, I'm here standing here with my arms open wide saying, be begging you, God, please fill me. I can't honestly say like, there's like a filling cup and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I'm filled, but it's, I feel different about it. I feel more positive about it. And I, I feel hopeful that one day this thing won't have such a grasp on me that it had the day that I began praying that prayer. So Stevie, how has unforgiveness caused a barrier in your life with intimacy and relationships? Um, you know, a lot of it's just, it's just, it's carrying around that weight is what it is, is unforgiveness, I think really is a weight. Cause it's you know, like, oh, for it's like forgive and forget. I don't think you're never, I'm not going to forget. Like I'm, I'm not going to forget, but I do hold the power of forgiveness. And so that you're always going to have, you know, it's like, like you just said, like, like, Oh, if I forgive, um, then it's just, it, everything's just wiped away. No, that's not how it is. Like, you're still going to remember how you feel, how you felt, <clears throat> but not having that extra burden really does. I mean, it like, it essentially lightens the load. So you're not having to carry that around. And I mean, I know in a, in, in more like in friendships and even like relationships with my parents, um, if I held on to that unforgiveness for a little bit longer than I needed to, it was, it was like just sitting there festering. 
it caused a, you know, at the end of the day, it causes like a little rift, a little ripple that, you know, it's like a tiny little ripple is what turns into a tsunami. Like that's, it's not just a tiny, like a tsunami is big all at first. No, it really starts out as a tiny little like pebble literally being dropped in the water. And then all of a sudden you've got a tsunami. Uh, I mean, clearly more crazy than that, but whenever I, I just found in those, especially like, like with my parents, like if there was like, there's a couple things like, like if my mom had said something to me that at the end of the day, like she really shouldn't have said it to me. And I held on to that. And I'd be so angry and mad. And what that did is that it put that barrier up where I needed to call her. I needed to talk to her about something, but I didn't because I was still mad and I had not actually forgiven her for saying that, you know, for saying what she had said. And here's also something too. I think you definitely need to let the note, let I, I not always, but I definitely do think if someone has really hurt you and it's ev- like, it's evident that have that conversation with them and like, tell them that you're forgiving them. It's one of those, but also not always do you have to tell someone that you forgave them. Sometimes it's just in your head that something happened and you've got to say, okay, you know what? I forgive them. I just need to get over that. I've got to get over this. I'm not going to forget, but I am going to forgive them and I'm going to move on. Um, and so that is like, that is a lot of times that's what forgiveness looks like is think it's in your, it's in your own head, but yes, there are times where you do have to have that conversation with someone and, and they might actually not have even realized that they hurt you. Um, but telling them, Hey, you did hurt me. And honestly, like I forgive you. And that's, I mean, I've had that said to me too. I've also had the tables turn and that said, been said to me. And I'm like, Whoa, I didn't even realize that I had hurt someone but by them even saying like, you know what, Stevie, like, I forgive you. I'm like, well, I wasn't even asking for forgiveness, but I did hurt them. And so I do need forgiveness from that. And so I just think we need to remember that too, um, especially with relationships. Yeah, that's really, that's really, really good. And I think that, um, and I think as long as we're not forgiving, then I do think it's almost like we, in that, in that what may have the potential to be an intimate, close relationship, right? Where you're actually seen and known. Um, then I think you have your hand out, like almost like like having space between you and the other person that doesn't necessarily have to be there. We're always going to have some level of space between us and someone else because that's boundaries and that's healthy and that's okay. But what I'm saying is unnecessarily, you know, just like it's keeping that person at a distance, you know, so that is going to get in the way. Unforgiveness is going to get in the way of intimacy, basically, because you're going to be keeping that person at a distance. Yeah. You know, when if you were to work toward forgiving them for whatever um, they may have done, then I think that, you know, you you can put your hand down again and not be on the defense because it's real hard to be close and intimate with someone if you're on the defense with them, yeah. you know. No, that's great. I love that you said that. And I feel like this is also helpful, not only to recognize that as survivors, we do have to walk through forgiving those who have hurt us, but to also recognize that we have to maybe ask someone else for forgiveness if we've hurt them and and challenge ourselves in that way. And I'm not talking about your um, perpetrator or anything like that. I'm talking about intimacy, close relationships. And I mean, exactly. Yeah. And the goal is, and we hope that you 
are healthier. That is the ultimate goal. Like when we pray before these podcast episodes, we always are asking God to please use these podcasts to change your life, to challenge you in some way, to open your eyes to something. And we hope that these last three episodes have challenged you in your, in the realm of intimacy, but you know, what are some areas that you need to grow in physical intimacy or emotional? And most importantly is spiritual intimacy. And that, you know, that number one relationship is going to be a relationship with God because no person on this planet can ever fill that space that God holds. And we try to, we do it. We do it with our friends. We do it with our uh, jobs, with our spouses. And they never meet the, they never, ever, ever will. They weren't created to, to, to fulfill the need that only God can fill. So we are just so grateful again that you guys come and that you listen to these each time. I've gotten a couple emails. I'm so grateful for them. Um, every time I get one of these emails that are just saying like, hey, I told you told us to respond to email you and just tell us like your thoughts. And then when you guys actually do that, I can't tell you it's life giving to us. So thank you. Keep those coming. And um, we will see you next time for episode 49. Anything you guys want to close with? Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being willing to listen and um, don't do life alone. Mm -mm. Find your people, find your people. Um, actually, I do want to mention one thing um, because I I know I mentioned this because me and Stevie had high hopes to record two episodes a month. And just with me and Stevie talked about this just recently as me becoming a foster parent, I, I had originally when we said it, I had originally had this dream and vision to do that and to like, you know, set time aside, but with becoming a foster mom, I am overwhelmed with taking care of this little guy. And I, I mean, I don't know how long I'll be on him, but hopefully a good long time. And so, um, that's the reason why we're not doing two a month. So I just wanted everyone to know, because I am huge on keeping my word. So you may have heard me say that, and you may be wondering where's that second episode each month. And that is the reason time has just not allowed it. So when, and if my time opens back up, I know Stevie's right there to help me with that and to move those, those along. But for now, that's why we're just going to keep it at one a month, but thank you again for listening. We love you guys so much and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.